Hello and welcome to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman, alongside Joel Johnson, certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Hey, we have updates on the home front this week. Big news, Joel has moved. He's still in the mother-in-law suite, but you've moved to a different room in the mother-in-law suite. Tell me what's going on here. So I have a whole office set up here, John. I've got uh, on the bed, in the mother-in-law bedroom, I have the uh, a guitar case that is now my desk, <laughs> just just for the purpose of my radio program. Uh-huh. Um, so I have a guitar case that is now my desk. I have an Ethernet cable run 150 yards from my basement um, all up through the house over to um, this particular room I'm in. And I have our Rosie, our little English bulldog, who um, could bark at any moment, and I'm trying to get her to keep from chewing through some of the cables we have set up to do the radio program. Yep, so a guest speaker, if if she indeed has a speaking role today, you'll know that's Rosie. You'll know, you'll recognize the voice when you hear her. Uh, I am ready to get back to the office, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you. I could see you being incredibly stir-crazy, just knowing what I know about you, and the high-octane performer that you are on many fronts. Probably not liking being stuck at home. It's a little tough. Yeah. So here's a fun fact, by the way. Tell me, Joel, what do these companies have in common? GE, Disney, IBM, FedEx, Microsoft. They have one very significant thing in common. Any idea what that thing might be? Give me the names of the companies again. GE, Disney, IBM, FedEx, and Microsoft. I don't know if this is where you're going, but every one of those companies was started by, uh, was founded by somebody here in the United States. Well, that is true. The other thing that we're really looking for is they were all launched in the middle of significant recessions. So just very interesting that companies that big and that successful came about during very difficult economic times. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, looking back 20 or 30 years from now, what company was launched in 2020 that we say, oh, wow, in the middle of the coronavirus, that company came about. Interesting. We'll see. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't find out about those things usually till after the fact. And some people say, well, yeah, I saw it coming. And usually they're just lying. They yep. just got lucky. You never saw it coming. So I wanted to talk today, Joe, about, first of all, where does the money come from? So when we hear these numbers thrown around like trillions of dollars uh, for certain packages and bailouts and stimulus, stimuli, whatever the plural might be, uh, where does that money actually come from? And then also U-shaped, V-shaped, W-shaped recoveries. What does that all mean and what might that look like? How does that apply to our own personal financial situation? Let's start with that first question. Where does the money come from? When people are saying, all right, so here's $2 trillion for this, bill signed, passed into law, here you go. Explain. Well, to keep it really simple, we're borrowing that money from the future. Uh, the U.S., ultimately, whether they already have or they will in the future, issues bonds, and they take the money that they get from selling bonds to the public, and they either buy assets in the case of uh, what they're doing with the banks, what the Treasury is doing with the banks. They're buying securities, so the banks stay very, very solvent. Um, or in the case of putting money out for some of the loans and the grants that are going to small businesses, again, they borrow that money and send it out into the economy. What the Treasury is trying to do and what the Fed's trying to do is, you know, the economy, think of it as a stream, right? Money just washes through the economy. And if you put a dam in that stream and you dry up 
the flow of the water downstream, you've got all kinds of problems that happen. So the government wants that money washing through. So what's happening is ultimately they're going to borrow the money. Some people say print the money, but technically they're borrowing that money to be paid back at a later date. Where do they borrow that money from? Well, they still can borrow the money from institutions. People will buy government bonds. Government bond is a loan to the government. A lot of foreign countries will buy those bonds. We are still, despite what some people want to believe, the envy of the world when it comes to financial stability. We have the strongest, most resilient economy in the world. And so the idea is the Fed or the Treasury will ultimately borrow that money give it out into the economy, and then they will have to pay interest on that money they've borrowed. But right now, interest rates are really low. And in the future, as the economy grows, paying back those loans becomes a much smaller percentage of the ultimate cash coming into the economy through tax revenue. So a little complicated there. Hopefully that was a simple explanation, but the money doesn't just come from nowhere. Um, It gets either borrowed, um, well, it gets borrowed, period. And hopefully the economy will grow enough in the future to pay it back without causing us to have a strain um, from the standpoint of a future recession. Or ultimately, uh, the government can devalue the currency to pay that money back, which is something that uh, would not be good. So the way you explain that, it makes it sound less terrifying to me than when I hear that the national debt is X trillion dollars or whatever it is. I mean, how, how much do you see that debt as being a problem? And how much of it is just, well, this is the way it works. It's a problem if we don't grow. If the U.S. economy stops growing, the debt is a problem. Because right now, let's just pretend it takes, well, let's, let's use a household. Let's use a household earning $100,000. And let's say after they buy groceries and do everything they need to do, groceries, car payments, utilities, and so on and so forth, Let's say they have $30,000 left over and they're spending that entire $30,000 on their mortgage. So there's no wiggle room. There's no extra money. If 10 years from now, their income has gone up to 200000 now to pay 30000 on a mortgage is half of their cash flow than it was 10 years ago, right? So 10 years ago, it was 30%. Now it might only be 15%. So as long as the family income grows, the debt is no big deal. If the family income does not grow food and utilities and everything else will grow. And now all of a sudden you've got negative cash flow to pay that mortgage, right? Because if all other prices go up and all you could do is afford to pay the mortgage and that was it, you're going to go backwards and you're going to go backwards from a cash flow standpoint. But if your income doubles over 10 years, then the mortgage is no big deal. And so that's, you know, a real simple way to look at it. And for those of you that are you know, economics or PhDs in in finance or whatever. I know I'm simplifying it, so just relax. Don't send me emails. Um, But that's a good way to look at it for the average person. So how does this affect us from an investment decision standpoint? What do we need to be thinking about on a financial planning front in light of everything you just explained? Well, I think if you're going to invest for retirement, and let's say retirement is 10 years off, and remember, if retirement's 10 years off, you're not investing for 10 years from now, you're investing for 40 years from now because you're going to spend probably 30 years in retirement. What we know is historically speaking, over the long term, U.S. assets have always gone up. What is an asset? John, you mentioned at the beginning of the program, Disney, FedEx, General Electric, 
um, Microsoft. Those are assets. Those are ownership pieces of companies. And over a long period of time, a group of assets, let's call it the entire stock market, has always gone up in value. So we really shouldn't care too much what's going on in the short term. As a matter of fact, you should look at it as assets are on sale. Stocks are on sale right now. It's a good time to continue or increase your contributions to your 401k. Now, if you are in retirement, it's a different story. If you're in retirement, you need to kind of do a complete reset on your mentality. You need to sit back and go, okay, it doesn't matter what my investments were worth, let's say eight or 12 weeks ago. It matters what they're worth now. And I should redo my financial plan. I should redo my financial plan based on what I have now and what I want to live on for the next Oh, 20 years, let's say, if you're already in retirement, or maybe 25 years. And so people get complacent, right? They, they get kind of deer in the headlights if they don't know what to do and they do nothing. Or uh, they tend to try to react and time the market, which is also the wrong thing to do. What you want to be doing right now is just doing a reset on your financial plan. Redo your financial plan. Hopefully you have one, by the way. I mean, if you're investing your own money or you're working with some advisor and all they talk about is what stock to buy, um, you need to have a financial plan. You need to work with what I would call a real advisor, in my opinion. If you're feeling really bad and you've got all kinds of regret, that means you're probably, you probably don't have a good foundation of a financial plan. Or if you're really feeling bad about what's happened in the last 12 weeks, you probably were taking too much risk and nobody would tell you the truth and say that you were taking too much risk. Joel, if somebody wants to have that conversation, get that plan in place, explain to us what a plan looks like, what are the components of it, and then what's the process to actually get it put together? Well, just give us a call. It's that simple. Give us a call or send a text. We will set up a time to do a quick 15-minute phone call where you can ask us questions, we can ask you questions, and decide if it makes sense to take that next step, which would be us building a financial plan for you. There's no cost. There's no cost for us to build a financial plan. There's no cost for that 15-minute phone call. Um, we built this firm by saying we're going to help anybody. So if you have any uncertainty right now, if you don't know what to do, if you're working with an advisor, which most people that call us are, and you just want a second opinion from somebody other than the person that gave you the first opinion, give us a call. Call 1-800-705-1232. You can also text your first and last name. Again, one 800 705-1232. Hundreds of people a week ask for our help. So it is no problem for us to spend a little time with you, talk on the phone, and at least give you a different perspective. This is not the time to sit back and be complacent. This is not the time to wait. This is the time to do a reset of your financial mentality and either find out you're doing the right thing and you ought to keep doing what you're doing, or maybe you want to make a couple adjustments. 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. You can call or you can text. You can get that money map retirement review. You can have that conversation virtually. Maybe it's just a phone call. Uh, whatever works best for you, we can make that happen. Now, to clarify, you don't need to have your calendar in front of you at this moment. All you need to do now is either call and leave a voicemail and say, hey, yeah, I'd like to have this conversation or shoot us a text. As Joel said, include your first and last name and we'll get back in touch with you and find a time to get you on the calendar for that completely complimentary conversation. Again, 800-705-1232 is the number to call. That's 800-705-1232. You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti. Joel, I mentioned that we talk about different types of recoveries. So basically there are, are four 
different shapes, you might say, that I've heard mentioned. Uh, the, the L shape or the hockey stick recovery, the U shaped recovery, the V shaped recovery, and the W shaped recovery. I'm just interested in your take on what exactly that looks like and, and how the financial world might react to each of those. Let's start with the V shaped recovery. What exactly does that look like? How do we know if we're seeing it? All of that. Well, the V-shaped recovery, so think of the left side of the V, which is exactly what's happened. Uh, between late February and where we are now, the economy has dropped off a cliff. It's gone straight down like the left side of that V. And we've now got, what, 28 million people unemployed, and um, next week there will be more. And so we've gone down very, very fast, and a V-shaped recovery just simply means the recovery comes back as fast. And so instead of a slow U where it goes down quickly and then there's this down period and it slowly comes back up like the bottom of the U, a V, it bounces back very, very quickly. And that's what people mean when they say V-shaped or U-shaped. At the beginning of this downturn, everybody was saying, oh, it's going to be a V-shaped recovery. Haven't heard that in a long time. Nobody thinks this is going to be a V-shaped recovery. They think this is going to be a long while until we get back to normal for a number of different reasons that maybe we can talk about a little bit later. So you mentioned the U. Uh, explain in more detail what the U-shaped recovery looks like, and is that still a possibility? Well, it's absolutely a possibility. So U just simply means if you picture a U, we go down pretty quickly, and then we slow the process of going down, kind of rounding the bottom of that U, and we slowly come back up. And so it should be kind of considered, I guess, a very wide U um, because the bottom comes slowly and we kind of curve off the bottom and start curving back up. And that's the typical recession that we see. It's usually not quick down, quick up. The typical recession is more of a U-shaped recovery. All right. So that's the V and the U. How about the W? That sounds pretty complex. I mean, the V and the U seem pretty easy to understand, but what in the world makes a W recovery happen? Well, a double, and folks, we're talking about the economy here. We're not talking about the stock market. So it's real important that you understand that we're talking about the overall economy, the growth in the economy. So a W-shaped recovery would be like we've had where the market dropped like a rock or the economy stopped, slowed down very, very quickly. And then we start this recovery, but the recovery fails and we go back down again. So in a W, picture a W. Again, the drop, the initial drop in economic activity is the, the left side of that W. And then we start to come back up in the middle, but then the recovery fails and it goes back down again. And then it's another period of time before it comes back up. And again, we don't know if this is going to be a U-shaped or a W-shaped recovery or what they call a hockey stick. We just don't know. But when you hear these words thrown around on financial television, that's what they're talking about. All right. So the hockey stick, since you brought that one up, explain what that looks like. Because we've moved from letters to now a piece of sports equipment. So Yes, here we go. <laughs> so, so the hockey stick, you can picture it with the blade going up on one side or the other. Um, what they should kind of call it is maybe two hockey sticks, um, or if you had the blade on both sides. But let's think of a hockey stick. If you lay the hockey stick down or you're holding a hockey stick, and the blade of the hockey stick, where the puck would hit on the hockey stick on the, is on the left side, which, so that means the economy drops real quickly and it just stays really bad for a very, very long period of time. The Great Depression would be like this. Although the downturn didn't happen super quick, the event that triggered it happened super quick. And then we just had a period of time for eight, 
10 years where the economic activity was just really bad. And in fact, what took us out of that was us getting involved in World War II that snapped us out of the Depression because of all that government spending. But it was a very long period of time we were along the bottom. And then the hockey stick kind of gets flipped around at the end where the blade is now on the right side and it comes back up, usually stimulated by something else. Which is, by the way, this is why the government threw so much at this so quickly. The reaction of the administration was really good reaction. I don't care how you feel about Donald Trump and the administration. You know, let's get over that for just a moment and talk about what the government did and how quickly they reacted. Much faster than the financial crisis. They hit this like hitting somebody in the head with a two by four. And so the reason when they react so quickly like that, it's, it's really good. We have the best chance of coming out of this. Now, if we don't come out of this quickly, it has nothing to do with what administration was in office. You can't compare it to the 2008 financial crisis. It's really different. It's much more of a devastation to the economy. So don't judge whether the actions were taken were proper or not based on how long we come out of this. This is really, really different. And the U.S. government, the Treasury, the Fed, the administration had to hit it really, really hard to keep our economy going. There was actually a period of time a few Mondays back where the entire financial system almost seized up. And because of the actions of the treasury and the fed behind the scenes that was avoided well it was very behind the scenes i don't think most people are aware of what you're talking about so give us the the brief summary when you say the system almost seized up what are you talking about well we're getting a little more technical than i usually get but what happens is very large banks and very large investment banks so we're talking about jp morgan bank of america goldman sachs merrill lynch and so on a lot of the investments that they have They create these financial vehicles and they borrow overnight to finance those investments. So they actually borrow money last night, let's say, and they have to pay it back tonight. And they count on being able to borrow that money again tonight. So it's almost like if you had a mortgage and you refinanced it every day. Well, when you're unable to borrow that next day, now all of a sudden the investments you have because you can't turn them into cash right away, that's a big problem because you owe money, but you can't borrow the money to pay the money you owe. Hopefully I'm explaining this okay. So when you can't, when these big banks and financial institutions can't borrow that money each night overnight and roll it, what we call, the entire financial system will seize up. The the treasury stepped in and backstopped that borrowing so it could continue to happen. Think of the stream again, what I talked about before. Think of a stream, the water's got to run through the stream and you just dam that stream up overnight. Everything downstream dies. And that's what almost happened to our U.S. economy, which, you know, again, most people don't understand how this works and the leverage in our economy. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, gee, I don't like that, you know, it shouldn't be that way. Well, you know, if you borrowed money to buy a car or you got a mortgage or anything like that, all of those things exist because of this rolling over every day of financial institutions and their borrowing. Very interesting. So keep in mind, there are always a lot of wheels in motion that you can't necessarily see. And that's a great reason why you want to be working with somebody who understands all of this and helps you put a financial plan together in the context of all of these many moving parts that the average person isn't necessarily going to have a great understanding of. Uh, Joel, let's take a few questions from the mailbag. Uh, Let's start with Wendy, who says, I'm recently divorced and have just received money in a quadro as part of our settlement. What are my options for what I can do with this money? So let's talk about what a quadro is, qualified domestic relations order. What that simply means is Husband and wife get divorced, and let's say all the money is in her 401k, and the divorce order says, well, you have to split the assets. 
Well, the husband, who doesn't have any money because all the money was in her 401k, simply sets up an IRA, has no money in it, and half the money from the spouse's IRA rolls over into his IRA. It's the one exception where you can roll money out of a retirement account, put it in someone else's name, and there's no tax implications. So in your case, Wendy is going to receive a settlement, and it's going to roll over from her husband's retirement account, or 401k, and it's going to go into her name, and it becomes an IRA in her name with all the rules of an IRA, which means Wendy can now invest it any way she wants. So Wendy, if you're listening right now, if that's a decent sum of money, you probably ought to talk to a financial advisor. If you already have one, talk to that person, and you want to come up with an investment plan for that money, because many times if you're receiving a quadra, that means that's one of the biggest assets in your marriage, and the marriage is now dissolved, and now that's one of your biggest assets. So treat it very, very carefully. You can invest it any way you want. You could throw it into the bank in an IRA CD. You could buy stocks. You could buy mutual funds. Um, There's just a number of different things that you can do with that money. So you need to make sure you come up with a plan because just by the very fact that you got a quadro means it's a significant asset for you. All right. So hope that helps, Wendy. Let's go to Marty, who says, I'm thinking about putting a large chunk of my savings into cruise ship companies. The ships will eventually sail again, and then prices will go back up, right? I don't have to get rich tomorrow. I'm willing to wait a few months. What do you think? Well, Marty, let's explain for a minute, you know, why cruise ship company stocks are so low. Cruise ship company stocks are so low. Because very smart money, big pension plans, giant investment firms have decided that they are very, very risky. So if you want to bet against Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, U.S. Trust, Morgan Stanley, if you want to bet against those companies that have floors and floors of people in high rises, maybe not necessarily right now, staring at six screens at a time to analyze the cruise companies, and the big money has decided a cruise company is worth $10 a share, and you think it's really worth 40 just be real cautious of making that bet. Um, now, I'm not saying you couldn't be right. That money could go up a lot, but you could also have bankruptcies in the industry. So be very careful about making these focused bets. Now, if that's 5% or 3% of your net worth that you want to put towards that, that's fine. But for most people, they should be involved in a basket of stocks. They should be diversified and not make big bets on one particular industry. I'll give you an idea. I have a son, 23 years old. He hasn't figured out. He got a little lucky because the market was going straight up. So now he thinks he's really smart when it comes to investing. He is pretty smart, but not necessarily when it comes to investing. He saw oil drop like crazy a little while back. And he said, well, it can't go any lower. Uh-oh. Everybody must be wrong. And so he he bought uh, an ETF that's involved in oil, and of course, it dropped another 30% from there. So be cautious betting against the market. A stock is priced the way it is because that's where the buyers and sellers come together. Half the people think it's worth more, half the people think it's worth less. So when you step in and you buy something, you're betting that more than half of the people on one side or the other are wrong, and you want to be careful of that. You're better off buying U.S. stocks in the long run, a basket of stocks and holding on, and then you don't have to worry about if your timing was right and so on. So one more time quickly before we get out of here, Joel, let's give folks the opportunity to have a conversation. Give us a quick summary of what that conversation looks like and how to make it happen. Well, sure. And let's just talk about the show today. It's been much more technical than it usually is. And I think those are that's good for these times. But if what I said didn't make any sense to you, you don't see how it applies, here's what applies to you. Is your financial future all set? With all the changes that have just happened, 
should you make an adjustment in what you're doing. We want to talk to you about that. We want to help you. It's a 15-minute phone call. When you contact us, we'll set up a time to do a 15-minute phone call. Uh, Typically, one of our financial advisors, many of them are certified financial planners, will call you back very quickly and walk you through a 15-minute conversation to do a quick assessment. If after that, then you want to take it farther than that, you can be the judge of that. But we want to help you, and usually all it takes to get started is a 15-minute phone call. So call us, one 800 705-1232. Again, that's 1-800-705-1232. When we have that phone call, I will also put in your hands a copy of my new book, The People's Retirement Handbook. Everything you need to know about what goes on behind the scenes in the financial industry and how you should be looking at your investment future. So once again, 1-800-705-1232. Give us a buzz now and we'll have that 15-minute conversation. 800-705-1232 is the number to call or text, whichever is easiest for you. 800-705-1232. We'll reach back out later and get you on the calendar for that complimentary conversation. 800-705-1232. As it turns out, we did not hear from Rosie the Bulldog during this program today. She minded her P's and Q's. Joel, thanks as always for your wisdom. We'll talk with you again next week right here, same time, same place on Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products offered through JN Financial LLC. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program. Better Money is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti.